Welcome to the Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome with Melissa Kirscher and Wendy Bowlesby. This is Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome with your host, Wendy, and of course, Melissa. And we are continuing our uh, recap episodes on Fantastic Fest 2017. Mm-hmm. So um, we're, we're in what, number three of six right now? Yeah. I think so. Okay. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. Okay. Um, so uh, let's see, a story I never got to tell you. This is so great. I'm finally yeah. getting to tell you about Fantastic Fest because we didn't really see each other. Um, so there I was. Um, I forget which day of volunteering, but it was definitely first half. And I went wandering. It must have been Saturday. I went wandering into the highball, and it was like late afternoon, and there was a band performing. Uh huh. And what I saw was a bunch of people in full animal costumes lip syncing along to music (laughs) and performing like a band. Like there was somebody with an eagle head uh-huh. and there was like a teddy bear and it was very like, well, yeah, it's fantastic fest. Okay. <laughs> that's fantastic. That's fantastic. So I turn around. I'm like, whatever that was. So I end up later on, I'm out. Uh, one of the things volunteers have to do is they have to be on the TABC line, right? They have to patrol. The, I called it border patrol. They would call it. <laughs> the, they're like, somebody has to do the alcohol line. And, they, and every time they'd say that, it'd be like alcohol line. There's alcohol. Do I have to stand in line for alcohol? What? No, no. You have to make sure people don't carry their drinks p- past a certain point. Right. So volunteers have to just sit there and like, don't do that. So I'm sitting there when they start loading out all of their stuff and up walks Zach Carlson. Uh-huh. And, uh, and it turns out the name of the band is the Charles Edward Cheese Band. Chuck E. Cheese. Yes. <laughs> it is a joke that Zach came up with a decade ago for a one-off performance. <laughs> so he's like, well, this is my band, except it's a band I had the idea of, but I've never actually performed in. And I came up with the idea for one joke, and, and it was supposed to be something we did once, but now they've been playing gigs for 10 years. So that's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> so so I'm sitting there and I'm hearing this story and they're trying to load up their stuff and one of their props from their show is an eight feet tall coffin lid with a cross painted on it oh okay I think I saw it around oh dear yes you did because they couldn't get it to fit in their car <laughs> and they're like what do we do and I'm and because I'm just sitting there watching I'm like <laughs> Just go lean it up against the wall in the Alamo and it'll fit right in. Nobody will notice. And they looked at each other and went, eh. How did they get it there if it didn't fit in the car again? I don't know. I don't even know. But days later, days later, 
I walked by that cubby yeah. where there's the vamp, huge vampire poster and in the corner is the coffin lid and I fight, my brain snapped and connected that that's the same coffin lid and right at that moment Zach Carlson walked by and I'm like, Zach, it's, you guys actually did it. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, it's been there for days. Nobody's noticed. <laughs> Udo Kier thought it was cool. <laughs> I am so sad that Udo Kier was there and I didn't see Udo Kier. I oh saw him God. walk by. Ah. I saw him walk by. Um, so yeah, I there. I love the Alamo that you're just like, hmm, I've got this giant coffin lid. What do I do? Just put it against a wall. Nobody will notice. It'll fit right in. It's true. So he's like, yeah, we're going to get it at the end of the festival. We'll come back for it. So <laughs> there's my Charles Ichi's band story. For you, Melissa. Yeah, and speaking of things sitting around in the Alamo, we should probably also talk about the, the games, the, yeah. that weird art installation that was in there. Yeah, because it, well, first off, listeners, um, going back to the previous episode about uh, the documentary about um, the shower scene, they had a photo booth uh-huh. that was a full tub and shower background and a dummy dressed up like mother Mm -hmm. with a knife in his hand and you could get your picture taken in basically the psycho shower stall Mm -hmm. it was super fun except of course it was in the hallway so it was causing all sorts of traffic jams so talk (laughs) to the volunteers about how we felt about that fucking photo booth sometime i I feel like i've i've heard an earful already about that (laughs) yeah exactly like volunteering gives you a different perspective on things but i mean that's part of what i love about fantastic fest is the random shit that pops up oh yeah and now that we don't have that fantastic arcade like i'm glad there's other things that yeah i'm sad that arcade is gone i am very sad i i liked having arcade there i i it added a creative buzz yeah that was different yeah um so the art installation was it was like five five four or, or five it was a bunch of them but they looked like classic arcade console yeah. games that you could quote play yeah um, where like the it was basically each game was a step along the way of processing a ki- pig carcass. Yeah. So you would um, let's see, you head puncher mm-hmm. and neck cutter and like you and entrails, a gut, gut snatcher, gut snatcher. And the way you would play the game is just things would come by in real time, uh-huh. and you would just press the button at the right time for it to reach out and snatch the guts. And the way the game starts is. You've been hired. Eight-hour shift commencing. <laughs> so, so it's it's desert bus. Except- and so you're just standing there, like, and not boop boop boop. Like it's boop boop. Like the pace of it makes it even more dull. And as you're doing this, there's a your score is how much you've earned. Mm-hmm. So like you're doing this for like three minutes is like you've earned 41 cents <laughs> and like nobody played it long enough, but I have a feeling, yeah, you play it for eight hours and then you get to go to the next screen, which is maybe going home. So it wasn't actually video games. Mm-hmm. It was an art installation commenting on meaningless and awful jobs that people have to do. Are you familiar with Desert Bus at all? No. Desert Bus is a thing that came that was come up with, oh, I can't remember how many decades ago, but there's this kind of avant-garde game designer in Japan who came up with it. But in, and I, part of its history involves Penn Gillette and uh, Penn and Teller. Huh. And I can't remember what their relationship with it is, but it's a game where you're driving a bus 
from from Las Vegas to Los Angeles, I think it is, in real time, but something's broken about the bus and you can only drive at 20 miles an hour and it pulls slightly to the left. So you have to keep it on the road. Oh my God. And you can't stop. And it's boring. And so there, there are now um, like charity drives every year. It's like desert bus day and people all over the world try to actually drive the bus all the way to the completion of the game. And uh, <laughs> they do it online and then they raise money as people watch online. And, you know, usually it's teams so they can switch out every so often because, oh, my God, it's dull. <laughs> it's dull. Anyway. anyway so, yeah. Tangent. <laughs> um, it was very it was a very fantastic fest thing to have in the hallway because, you know, mm-hmm. here's these kind of gory video game graphics as you're slaughtering and processing a pig carcass. And at the same time, like if you miss like three, then it's like you're fired. Game's done. Yeah. It's just the weirdest shit. <laughs> and people would be like, oh, a game. And they'd like step up and it's just like, no, you're not going to enjoy what. And then they'd be like, what do you, what do I? And it, uh, oh. <laughs> and then they'd walk away. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So that, um, so there you go. A little bit of the, um vibe of fantastic fest the uh, environs for you so what do we so want to we, talk we, about we should talk about brawl and cell 99 because i didn't get to see this but oh you we, didn't i didn't okay you should talk so about it. this is by the same uh director filmmaker who did bone tomahawk oh that guy yeah yeah, yeah. And i liked bone tomahawk i know so it's I. I know it's not perfect but but by um, god that's an interesting movie yes exactly so and this has got vince vaughn Mm-hmm. And this is a very different Vince Vaughn than <laughs> what you're used to. Um, and it's also got the actress who played the sister in Dexter. Okay. Um, uh, Udo Kier makes an Udo. appearance. Udo Kier makes an appearance as well. Uh, it's, I agree with the criticism that the first two-thirds are so slow and so quiet it could be tightened up although i understand what they were doing Mm -hmm. they were really wanting to draw the contrast between the stillness of this man Mm -hmm. because he is a profoundly still person you discover very quickly um the basic like the first thing you discover is he loses his job he goes home and finds out his wife has been having an affair Mm -hmm. um and he doesn't yell at her, mm-hmm. but she's in the car when he walks up and he's like, go into the house and we'll talk. Just go into the house and we'll talk. And she goes into the house and he stands out there and he proceeds to rip this car apart with his bare hands. Mm-hmm. So the you discover very quickly that this is somebody who is immensely powerful and Im- like full. He has the capability to be full of rage, but he very clearly controls it learned very early how to control it and to ne- to not let it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we skip ahead a couple of years and they've reconciled. Uh, well, and the important part being that he's like, I'm going to go drive for Gil. You said you'd never do that. We are not getting ahead. We want a nice house. We want to have a baby. Mm-hmm. Like, if we're going to make this marriage work and if we're going to get the things we need, I'm just going to go drive for Gil just for a little while. So he starts, he becomes a drug runner. Mm-hmm. So we flash forward, they've got a super nice house, she's pregnant, they clearly have, like, they're back to being very much in love, their relationship is terrific, and then Gil decides to bring in a new partner, and just the way all these crime dramas go, so it goes, the the deal goes south, he ends up in prison, 
and what, like, um, it is going to come out, so I want to be careful not to, quote, spoil it, Mm -hmm. Um, but he is forced into making his situation in prison worse because they, um, to save his family. Mm -hmm. And as he's forced to make worse and worse decisions to save his family, it it ends up in a place where it's just a fucking Shakespearean tragedy. Right. And it's brutal as fuck. <laughs> oh, my God. And it is absolutely unflinching. And I thought very honest. I thought it was very, like, the, the ending. I'm like, yeah, that is exactly what would happen. And, like, anything else would have been a cop-out and a cheat. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and Vince Vaughn? Especially, like, I just recently rewatched Dodgeball, right? Yeah. Hi, I'm Goofy Vince Vaughn. And he is, he is just so tightly wound. Um, It's amazing. It's really... I'd like to see it. it. I really, I really liked it. It's not perfect. I mean, like, yeah, but... I really liked it, and I was definitely on board for where that movie wanted to go. And um, it was brutal, and it and it was unflinching. It certainly wasn't a feel-good movie, but it was a movie that I walked out of and went, yeah, that was good. Rock on. I liked that experience. All yeah. right. So, yeah, that was a Brawl in Cell Block 99. Awesome. And it, so there's another, like, cell jail brawl <laughs> fight that you got that was to on see the that I got to see called Jailbreak. Yes, which I found super fascinating because right now I'm really into uh, martial arts movies. I'm watching a lot of martial arts films and kind of um, mm-hmm. education, educating myself about the history of martial arts movies. Like, like several you do cultures. because that's I'm me because you're you. And this is um, a movie that came out of Cambodia. Oh. Yeah, it's a Cambodian movie. I didn't and know it's, that. And it's the first, I think it is the very first movie to use Bokator, which is a Cambodian martial art. Oh, it's, fun. It looks very much like uh, Muay Thai, if you're not Yeah, but Muay Thai, well if we remember that what Muay Thai was such a revelation when we yeah. first saw Ong Bak. Yeah, and so Bokator also is kind of like, they come flying at you and hit you in four different points at the same time. And it's like elbows and knees and feet and, and, yeah. and it's like, how does that even work? Um, so Jailbreak is an extremely low budget movie. Um, you can tell they had like one set and it was the jail set. And, <laughs> you know, they just kind of swapped around some of the rooms every so often. It's like all these hallways look the same. Well, it's a jail. But anyway, <laughs> they got... Uh, uh, they they had a nice little set of court actors who are like this police team who have to go into the jail and protect um, an informant they know is going to be offed at some point. And then there's all all these other prisoners around this informant who is, of course, like the pretty boy who doesn't want to be in jail and knows nothing about jail life and can't defend himself and, you know, all the other people Save around him. Save me! Killers. Yeah, and, and there's also... It, it, there are interesting aspects to the film where, like, part of the police team, there's there's a woman, and she kicks ass. Oh! And uh, the gang that is going in to kill the, the informant guy uh, are, like, all women. Huh. And uh, they, they're kind of awesome. The, the main villain woman is really having a good time. 
<laughs> and I like 90% of the movie is people kicking and hitting and beating each other up. So it's like pure action. And what's really nice about it is it kind of has a sense of humor about itself. Oh, nice. Where like when it, it occasionally breaks and, and unravels a couple tropes and pokes fun at the genre itself. So nice. it's not, it's not dead serious. And you know, they kind of joke around with each other. You can tell that everybody who was working, who was working on the movie was having a great time. Oh, fun. So you know, they're, it's kind of uneven in pacing a little bit. Like, that's a lot of fighting to take in in a, in a sing, single movie. But, man, the fight choreography is, is interesting. And um, I was really fascinated by the camera work because a lot of it is the cameraman doing handheld in the middle of the fight scene, long shots. And it's super clean. So... As they're going through the fight choreography, it's hit, 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 and the cameraman is following the impacts. And so it's like up, down, up, down, down, down. And so you're literally following the fight choreography through the scene. And so that camera person was really neat first. I don't know how they made it so clean. Well, I mean, obviously he would have had to have rehearsed with them. Yeah. Like the, yeah. the hit's going to come here, the hit's going to come here. Like you, mm-hmm. he would have to memorize their choreography. Yeah. Boom, 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 boom. That's so cool. Yeah. It was, it was really well done, I thought. And uh, so that was fun. And also the short that was in front of it was really, really good. Okay. So I hope this is also something you can find online. I hope. I'll, I'll link it if I can find it. The, the, the short was called The Drop-In. Okay. Uh, made by Naledi Jackson. Okay. Black woman. Yeah. Starring two black women. Oh, fun. And it's a martial arts sci-fi movie. The, the initial premise is there's a woman closing up her hair salon at night and another black woman comes in. No, 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 really. Please, I just need a couple of braids redone. Please, can you stay open for a couple more minutes? And then as she sits down, it, it turns out to be like the woman who was the drop-in and was sent to either bring in the woman who's now a hairdresser or kill her. Oh. And it turns into these two black women in an incredible fight sequence. Oh. So it's like, yeah. 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 And uh, there, there's kind of this whole undercurrent for like the immigrant experience in the U.S. And it's like, ooh, sharp. Beautifully done. Nice. Beautifully done. So um, one of the... I feel like since we're in the uh, mode of talking about people hitting each other and slicing each other in blood and guts and... next obvious choice would be... Blade of the Immortal. Yes! So Takashi Miike's new movie, (laughs) uh, which is a samurai thing, uh, and you you sit down and watch it and go, I think this is a manga. This looks very manga. And then like all the anachronistic uh, uh, clothing choices and haircuts come in and go, oh, this is so manga. Oh, it's so manga. So it is It is a live action uh, Takashi Miike manga adaptation about this samurai who cannot die. And he's protecting a young girl who is seeking revenge. And, you know, the, the, the usual thing. The usual but, thing. Yeah. So remind people of other Mikkei films. Oh, Mikkei makes like five movies a year, I feel like. Yeah. A Japanese, like, Japanese filmmaker who uh, does things like, uh, he does really, really uncomfortable uh, 
horror movies like Audition. Yes. And uh, also things like The Happiness of the Katakuris, which is delightful. And, and also bonkers. Yeah, and bonkers. And things like 47 Ronin, you know, occasionally yeah. goes off and does samurai things like this one. And um, So Miki is a Fantastic Fest favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, because he usually... It, no matter what, it's going to be interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And Blade of the Immortal, it was, it's, it's good fun samurai stuff. Um, it's kind of bonkers, really, really bloody. Like literally, the final uh, battle at the end involves an entire river of blood because they have killed so many people on screen. <laughs> it's wow! Like, like a stream of blood running through this little village because everybody is dead. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, there there's this the samurai he, he can't die because he he was <laughs> infected with bloodworms at one point and apparently bloodworms if you have bloodworms in your blood they knit you back together. I I was not aware about this on Oh, well. But, uh, okay, learn yeah. something new every day. Yeah, it's it, it it's crazy town. It's it's very manga. It's very well. It, yeah, and it sounds like exact with a title like Blade of the Immortal. Yeah. It sounds like you got exactly what you wanted. And it's and it's beautifully shot, of course. Because well, it's like I, it. I saw the trailer before Fantastic Fest, <laughs> and it was on my list, but I had to make a choice between seeing it or seeing Downsizing for the closing film, and I chose Downsizing because. I wanted to see downsizing. I saw the trailer. I thought it looked quirky and interesting. Yeah. Um, so you should you should talk about downsizing. Yeah, it's the obvious thing to talk about. You saw Blade of the Immortal for your final film. I saw downsizing. Yeah. Um, uh, I am a little worried that the trailer for downsizing is selling a different film than what it is. That's what I've heard from many people. Because it's selling it as this quirky concept comedy. Mm-hmm. And it's, that's not what it is it's at so all. It's so not. Like, um... When we were putting together what movies we wanted to talk about, I'm like, actually, Brawl and Cell Block 999 and Downsizing kind of go together in my head because they're both about, they're both movies about men who get, who, for their families, make choices and are then trapped in those choices Mm -hmm. with no way back and don't actually get the benefit that they were supposed to get by making that choice. Like, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to do this thing, and it will solve this problem. Mm-hmm. And in point of and in point of fact, it doesn't. So, um, downsizing. I I love Matt Damon. Yeah. I think, like, and this is kind of pudgy dad Matt Damon. Which yeah, he's, he's adorable. Yeah, he really is adorable, and he's also got Christoph Waltz being all Christoph Waltz, <laughs> all Christoph Waltz up in that shit, um, and Udo Kier. And there, I want somebody said it, and I agree. I want a road movie with Christoph Waltz's character and Udo Kier's movie because the two of them together were hilarious. Like, you know that that is that those two traveling the world together would be like bonkers insane. These two characters, especially played by those two. Um, But he's sort of it's much more it's much more of a midlife crisis movie. Mm -hmm. This is the story of a man who is not happy with his life for very good reasons. He kept making choices that kept him from going where he really wanted to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he ends up, even when it's, he makes this drastic choice to get downsized, what's supposed to happen doesn't happen. And he ends up again, it's like, but I made this drastic choice so my life would improve. And in fact, I'm still off on the side on this path that I didn't choose. And he keeps trying to like find the path he's supposed to be on 
and it's actually the journey of him recognizing recognizing who he is and what is actually going to make him happy. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it's a really quirky, well done psychological drama. Like nice. yeah, of just like this one man mm-hmm. trying to figure his shit out. And it's Matt Damon, so it's really watchable and really <laughs> likable. But is it funny? No. No, it's not. Huh. A, I mean, it's not dour. It's not a downer. Mm-hmm. I liked it a lot. I sat next to David Canfield, and he's like, would you say that that ending was a downer? I'm like, no, that ending was true and hopeful and like the truth of how people actually find happiness. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, I agree. He's like, but the the reviews I'm reading are just like, wow, what a, what a fucking downer, man. He's like, also, because there's a there's a character in it who's a Vietnamese, um, uh, she is a activist, so she's a government refugee who has smuggled herself out from Vietnam. Vietnam. She was downsized against her will. Mm-hmm. And so she ended up in America. Well, she's had to teach herself English since she's been there, so she's speaking pidgin English because it's not like somebody's formally taught her English so she's speaking pidgin English. She's like, also, do you do you think that was racist? I'm like, no, that's that's how people like when you don't know a language, you speak a simplified version of the language. Mm-hmm. It's not racist unless you use that as an excuse to treat a character badly. And this character, nobody treats her. She's like, nope, this is what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And people are like, no, actually, we're gonna nope. I'm just going to roll right over what you're saying and just force you to do what I want. <laughs> She's kind of a delightful character. So yeah, I I liked it, but uh, don't go in expecting the trailer. Okay. Yeah. All right. So I feel like it's actually a good roll-in for Mom, Mom and, and Dad. Dad I wanted I to, to see, see this. Oh, and, and you will... I'm, I don't think it has distribution yet, but I'm pretty sure it'll come out. Because, I'll find a way. Because, okay, dear listeners, Mom and Dad is a movie made by Brian Taylor of Neville Dean and Taylor fame, as in the guys who made the Crank movies. Yes! Brian Taylor has made a movie... It's a sci-fi film where it's this town where suddenly all the parents decide that they must kill their children. They're, they get in the way. They're, they're really a problem. Yeah, they, they it, and it's 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 a sci-fi premise. It's a suddenly something happens and it's never actually explained and, and it doesn't matter. It's the something happens and suddenly all parents have this undying need to kill their children. And, and mom and, and so, dad in this cage are played by who, Melissa? By, by Nicolas Cage. Yes! And Selma Blair. Yes! And Selma Blair keeping up with Nicolas Cage. Because oh, unhinged, be unhinged Selma Blair and unhinged Nicolas Cage as a couple are incredible. <laughs> and and so, yeah, it's a very simple premise. You know, they have two kids and suddenly one day they snap and... Time to kill him. Time, time to kill him. And and this is a movie that, at one point, hands Nicolas Cage a sledgehammer and a pool table, and they, they go to work. <laughs> you know what, Nick? Let's see what you do with it. Just, like, improvise something. I don't know. I talk about, you know, the disappointment of being an adult, you know, and just go for it. <laughs> I really wanted to see oh it. Oh my god! I was gonna see a press screen a screening of it, and I woke up with a headache, and so I didn't make it because I was gonna go see it before I saw Basha. Oh man, I'm so sad I didn't. And, and I 
want it. I want it in my eyes. I want it. Somewhere in, in Nicholas Cage with a sawzall going after their own children. Now, well, kind of a, what does he say? <laughs> it's a sawzall because it's saws all. <laughs> Nicholas Cage stumbling down a hallway with a sawzall because it saws all, and he's got like Fruit Loops plastered to the side of his face. It's it's amazing. It's a gloriously unhinged performance. It's just like Brian Taylor going, "You do you, Nick. Have fun. You you know what we need. Just go for it. My life as a director will be imminently easier if I just cast Nick Cage and let him do most of the work." Well, do you remember him talking about working with Nick Cage on uh, Ghost, Ghost Rider? Yeah. The the insane stories of... Yes. Or Ghost Rider 2, I should say. Yes. Because yeah. because that that was when Nick Cage decided to santo himself up in his own makeup and turn up on set. Like with, with his own skull makeup so he could <laughs> feel the character better. Yes. Oh, God bless you, Nick Cage. Oh, uh, yeah. It, it was uh, delicious. So let's wrap this episode yeah, up should. so we can we get should. on to the next one yep. for your enjoyment tomorrow, listeners. So uh, this has been um, yet another recap episode for Fantastic Fest 2017. And I have been Wendy, joined as always by Melissa. And we will talk to you tomorrow. Goodbye. Bye. Thank you for joining us in the Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. Our theme song was written by Tim Wick and Jeffrey Brown and recorded and mastered by Chad Dutton. You can find us on iTunes and on Stitcher. You can also visit us at XanaduCinema.com, follow us on Twitter at Xanadu Cinema, and like us on Facebook at Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. Consume now, consume it, rub it on your flippers. <laughs> now available in the Simpsons Outernet Marquette. <laughs>